This is Neil Erwitz at the Center for a New American Security. I'm here today again with Lauren Fish uh, of our Defense Strategies and Assessments Program for part two of our National Defense Authorization Act interview. I'd like to think we're the only people this into NDAA. Uh, <laughs> you Lauren. can't get rid of us this quickly. <laughs> so, um, Lauren, you've you've been telling me that this looks like a this bill, both the House and Senate version, look first and foremost like a statement of policies. Uh, tell me what some of those policies are. Absolutely. So we talked last week about how anything, you know, in terms of the budget that happens out of this bill has to be appropriated to. And so that leads to fights about the budget caps, um, which is a whole different political issue inside of the Senate. Um, some of the policy things that come out of this bill are very interesting. So, for example, uh, the Senate version has, you know, an effort on the part of the U.S. to make port calls in Taiwan, for example. So this challenges Chinese activities in the Western Pacific that we see as threatening to U.S. You know, ability to operate, navigate the free seas. And full disclosure, that one comes from your old boss, it Tom does. Cotton. It does. Um, <laughs> nice little plug. <laughs> there's also some other um, really interesting things regarding Russia, for example. So there's a couple of amendments in the Senate version as well um, that deal with Ukraine. So there, there's a prohibition on any activities with Russia that would legitimize their taking of Crimea, their illegal annexation of Crimea. Um, there's a prohibition on mill, to mill cooperation operation with the with Russia based on their actions in Ukraine and most critically in my view after three years um, there's finally an effort to provide defensive lethal assistance to the Ukrainians um, after Russia encroachment in their territory so that's a big statement and has the White House made any noise about that given um, the uh, interactions with with Russia I don't think that this has really broken and I haven't actually seen a lot of chatter about it so I think it'll be interesting that's a space to watch as it comes forward. Um, it's kind of buried in the back of the NDAA executive summary, but it's certainly a very interesting development. So it's getting stovepiped on, uh, it's getting stovepiped as an issue. <laughs> um, speaking of stovepiping, uh, there is conversation within these bills about um, introducing a Space Corps, and you're worried about uh, stovepiping. Can you uh, expand a little bit on that? Absolutely. So the House version of the NDAA um, proposed a Space Corps, which sounds very exciting to many people in Washington who are nerds and want to think about fighting in space. Um, it's not like Star Wars. <laughs> um, I, I think it's really relevant that both the Senate and the House are addressing how new domains um, and how we think about fighting in the 21st century, uh, how that's going to change, looking at both cybercom splitting from NSA, as was in the NDAA last year, and then Space Corps or some of the Senate equivalent initiatives this year. Uh, my concern as somebody who looks at the combatant command structure uh, as a point of a, as a hobby, basically. Um, I worry that, you know, we're looking at these things, we're realizing the importance of them, but if we make them stovepipe to make them functions that are unto themselves, that we lose sight of their uh, purpose, which is not to be unto themselves, but rather to have operational military battlefield consequences. And so, you know, it's important that we're elevating them, we're giving them the resources they need, but they need to be integrated uh, across the whole system. So that's a concern coming out of the House bill. 
Uh, do you think they're going to really take that concern into account, or is that, or is it too early for that? It's a little too early to see how that's going to happen when these bills get to the conferencing stage. Like I said, the Senate bill doesn't have the same proposal as the House, so we know there's going to be something between the two at the conferencing stage that will happen. There's been a lot of conversation, of course, in the defense community about the pros and cons of that kind of proposal. Now, um, the House bill includes some very interesting uh language on climate change. Can you uh, let us know a little bit about that, too? Sure. So for the first time, um, this has actually made it into the House version of the NDAA, and uh, it affirms the climate change as a threat to national security. And so it directs the Defense Department to look at what the effects of climate change would be, especially to military installations around the world, and then possibly uh, operations that we might do, like humanitarian assistance and disaster relief. Well, so if uh, sea levels rise around Norfolk, for instance. Exactly. Um, and let me ask the kind of delicate question, how is that going to square with a White House that has been publicly quite skeptical of climate change? Sure. I think in this, you really see, again, the, the focus of Hask and Saskin setting um you know, the policy. So regardless of the politics of the issue, both the Senate and the House are directing DOD to look at the issue and see what the expected costs, uh, risks to infrastructure, and how we're going to operate would be affected. So you see the, the emphasis on policy there. Perfect. Um, well, let's, uh, once this thing passes, let's talk again. Absolutely.